0: I always kind of go into a little dilemma when answering that question. And it always depends on who's asking it, like the, like who, where are we? What's the context? Am I going to have contact with this person again? How dedicated am I to getting to know this person and like telling them a really shortened version of, of my life story. So that always kind of, so this, every time somebody asks me this question, I have to, it takes me a few seconds to kind of assess the situation. Hello,
1: I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together i need to get better please make me better i want to get better 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 acquainted with you today we're getting better acquainted with renee hello renee hi dave <laughs> So the first question that I ask everybody is, "How do you know me?"
0: I know you through Spark London. You host the Hackney Show, and I help with producing it. So I see you on the is it the second Monday, is it the second yeah. Monday of every month.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, yes, I know you. We met through Spark London, mm-hmm. and for a long time you were interested in stories you were Mm -hmm. you were coming along and you you but you weren't you weren't telling any of those stories right I was always talking to you before the night started or whatever and you were full of really interesting conversation and stories and then it'd be time to tell the stories and you'd be like not this time not this time right but then you did tell a story
0: yeah but just just once in this entire year I think my intention was more to like learn from other people telling their stories and how spark worked and how the storytelling organization and how the more practical stuff worked instead of me going to perform right so I never really felt the urge to tell a story and from experience if I perform when I'm not feeling it it just doesn't go well (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you if you had that
1: um I well over the years I've had to develop a I think I have a very different relationship to performance, right, to that. I could imagine. Like, what, what performance gives me is doesn't matter what's going on in my life. Mm. Once I'm on the stage, I'm in the moment, and that's mm. kind of why I crave it, because I'm never in the moment okay. in my life until I get up on stage, and then it's like, this has to happen. I just have right. to do this. Afterwards, I may or may not be happy with my performance. Often I'm not. But yeah, the actual allure of performance is a different thing mm-hmm. to me. If I'm not feeling it, I have to try and feel it. Like it's like, I don't really have
0: a... I imagine. I think for me, it's more like going up. Because I would, in uni, I performed like at open mics singing. I didn't do storytelling. Right. But I always did it out of like wanting to really give something to the audience. Right. So at Spark, I was like, if there's nothing that I'm willing to give, Mm. then I'm not going to go up. So that's kind of like, I think how I went about it in a kind of unconscious way
1: i think well that's a good attitude to have to a certain extent i think spark is about kind of giving mm-hmm. and sharing between the performer and the audience when i'm trying to get people to tell stories i don't ever want to push someone up mm-hmm. who doesn't want to be there how can you share something if you don't want to be there it's different if you're scared that's a very yeah, different thing loads of people are scared but they want to share but they are scared to share right,
0: right. but
1: if somebody doesn't want to share something why why for, why, what, what what can anybody <laughs> get from that Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so fair enough it's true but when you did share a story you were great and you Thanks. you know and i've read some of your writing as well so you're obviously somebody who's interested in telling stories about yourself like truth mm-hmm. and mem- memoir i guess yeah definitely right? yeah so i yeah i can see why you were why 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 working with spark and finding out about spark appealed mm-hmm. the second question i ask everybody is what do you do now
0: i Am I'm just finishing up my master's degree at SOAS so the School of Oriental and African Studies right I was doing critical I always forget the name because it's mouthful critical media and cultural studies which is basically media studies and a lot of philosophy and sociology so that's finishing up and then I'm going back to Germany to my husband and figuring out my post graduation crisis right. <laughs> I think this inevitable kind of slump that I'll have to figure out I think.
1: So yeah, because I mean obviously you're interested in cultural and media studies Right, yeah. But of course there's not an obvious job to go into with that in that area right?
0: Not really, I mean I always had an interest in development work but I've kind of steered a little bit away from that and I'm definitely more interested in kind of like the overlapping of development work and and media. So, yeah. So, but in the form of stories, storytelling, I mean, there's many ways to go about it. And I have a lot of options. I just have to see how that works with my location. Right. And because my German is kind of not really good. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to kind of, I think I'll probably, when I go to Germany, my first thing, I'll probably work on my German. And then, like, do some writing, you know, some side projects to keep me busy. i yeah. will do that in the meantime. <laughs>
1: what made you decide to study culture or study some media studies?
0: Storytelling. I've been kind of obsessed with it for three years now because of this one book I found in a... Se- it's like one of these, you know, random, like, stories. Oh, it's because of this book I found in the <laughs> secondhand shop for 50 cents. It's this kind of... I don't know if you've heard of it. This kind of new age... What do you call it? Like, spiritual... F- I don't know how to describe it. Spiritual feminism book. Women Who Run With The Wolves. Wait, women... Oh gosh, what is the name
1: of the book? Change your life, but you can't remember its title. I know! That's that's very common to my life. Women
0: Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. That's her name. And it's basically, I think, I don't know, like 20 years old or something. I might be completely wrong about that. But it's basically about archetypical stories about femininity and womanhood
1: right
0: and the whole premise is she's a Jungian psychoanalyst right at the beginning of a chapter she has like a fairy tale so like myths and folkloric stories right and then she'll kind of dissect it and say this is how you can apply it to your life as as a woman the tagline I think is stories of the wild woman archetype so it's like kind of not this like perfect nice girl image but kind of, you know, tapping into this like wild goddess archetype that kind of drives the entire the entire book. And that kind of actually opened the door for me for storytelling. And I've kind of been obsessed ever since.
1: Right. OK. <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty cool. I mean, that tally, I mean, I'm quite interested in fairy tales and the mm-hmm. m- morphology of folk folklore and stuff like that it's interesting that that's how you where you kind of came in to storytelling so I mean when I was sort of thinking of what we would talk about today how I would approach getting better acquainted with you I kept thinking of an article you recently had published Mm -hmm. called a is it a grafted tree or the grafted tree I think
0: Uh, I think it was a grafted tree. Yeah,
1: a (laughs) grafted tree. And that was kind of like about how you lived in lots of places and you sort of feel like they've all been kind of grafted onto you and that you're a kind of mixture of all of those things. And so it's hard for you to feel like you come from any of them. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, that's something that I'm very familiar with, even though, as we get into your story... Mm it will become clear that, that, that our, our lives are very unlike each other mm-hmm. as well. I I feel that way even from having grown up in lots of different parts of the UK, right? Right. Yeah. And that's a small place. <laughs> Those aren't very culturally different from each other. But mm. even so, I don't know where I belong. I don't know where where right. is my home. If I go back to any of the cities I grew up in, uh, yeah. in the, and the countryside I grew up in, I, I'm like, I know this place. It's but it's not mine. Mm-hmm. You know that, and I feel yeah, like that yeah. about everywhere. And I want places to be mine. Sometimes I want Cardiff to be somewhere where I come from. Right. But it. But I. But it isn't. Right. Yeah. I mean, I found that that essay to be really, really familiar and like connect with my life at the same time as being wildly different from my life experience. Mm -hmm. You beat me just on numbers, right? (laughs) One, two, three, four, five, six, and you can clap. I mean, we're in the UK now, so that's seven at least places that you've been, things that have been grafted to you, onto you. So the question that that you begin that essay with, that Mm -hmm. you find hard to answer, Mm -hmm. is, is where are you from?
0: Right, yeah, that's, I always kind of go into a little dilemma when answering that question and it always depends on who's asking it, like the like who, where are we, what's the context, am I going to have contact with this person again, how dedicated am I to getting to know this person and like telling them a really shortened version of, of my life story, so that always kind of, so this, every time somebody asks me this question, I have to, I, it takes me a few seconds to kind of assess the situation, but to to tell you a version of my life story kind of condensed. So I was born in the U.S. My dad is Dutch and my mom is from New York City but she's Puerto Rican ethnically. So her parents moved from Puerto Rico to New York City. When I was four, we moved to to Russia and we lived there for eight years until I was 12. When I was 12, we moved to South Korea My parents are still there, actually, since 2000. I stayed there from 12 to 22, although I was gone for a year traveling, but I still just kind of, instead of saying nine, I say 10 years. And then I went to uni in Holland for three years. I graduated and I went to Germany, and I got married to a German guy. And I stayed there for a year, and then now I'm here in the UK for the past year and then I'm gonna go back to Germany. Yeah,
1: so yeah. that's kind of a, <laughs> a short version. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've been to, I mean, there's a very, that's the thing that they're, they're very different cultures that you've been to. Right, yeah. And kind of cultures that often have had disagreements with each other historically.
0: Exactly, right? exactly. I mean, that's, that's what makes it interesting. And I have a lot of friends saying, oh, are you like, a spy like what you know they ask you what languages i speak and i speak english korean and russian and they're like oh you could like you know i don't know be working for like the cia for all i know and i'm like well i can't tell you that can I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's kind of been interesting because all of these countries are linked historically and especially when we were in in russia we moved there in 1992 and I think the fall of communism was officially December 1991 and we moved in May I think 1992 so really just a few months later and I don't have so many memories of those early days although if I hear my mom I I mean I still can't believe my (laughs) my mom went for it my the reason that we moved was because my parents were missionaries and my dad volunteered for this I I think without initially telling my mom
1: <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs>
0: <laughs> my mom was like oh my god what <laughs> so although the reason we moved to korea was because my mom wanted to move so my dad was like okay i chose russia where do you want to go she, and then she said korea my dad's like good we'll go where you want to go this time so it was kind of it was kind of even in the end but yeah to hear to hear my parents talk about those early days you know still like rationing of food and there's no toilet paper and you know eating chicken that there's like no meat and it's just bone and skin I don't really remember those things but I do remember trying not to speak English especially when we were around a group of of boys because we were like oh my gosh we're gonna get we're gonna get teased we lived in a, in a building that there were a lot of asians and they were bullied often and we went to a school also that there was a lot of a lot of asians which is kind of rare in russia because it's kind of a you know homogeneous society yeah, yeah it's <laughs> be quite quite racist and there were i never actually saw them but i don't know if it was in our neighborhood of the neighborhood of our house or the school but then there were always talk about like skinheads kind of like roaming around and beating kids up and i don't remember i think it might have been around the neighborhood where we lived we never came in contact with them although there was this one time because I thought we were living quite low-key, you know, we're like the Americans living in this neighborhood and, you know, nobody knows that we're American because we could speak Russian and we can blend in quite easily. And then randomly, this one this one guy, I don't know if he was drunk or having a bad day, he came up to us and he just said, you know, it's better in America. And he just walked away. And I was like, how does this guy know? Like, You know? So I yeah. guess people in the neighborhood did yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. So that was... It was interesting, yeah. But I had, I mean, I had a happy childhood overall. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> it's always good when people have happy childhoods. My childhood was in lots of different places, but not particularly culturally different, but mm-hmm. definitely the different chapters. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's like that, I was a different person, mm-hmm. I think, maybe, in, in all of those different places. Yeah. I mean, is, is that like how you feel? Like, is, How's it been like in terms of your identity?
0: For me... I always as kind of a default, as a default so I don't kind of like crumble completely is I just told myself I'm American, I'm American, I'm American, I'm American. And this is just because we spoke like Americans, we spoke English at home, we read, we watched American cartoons which we would receive on VHS tape when my parents would go to America and they would record stuff from the TV. And bring us back so we can have like the experience of American TV. Of course, we watch like Disney movies and stuff. So, and then of course, in the rush in the eyes of the Russians, we were American. So this is something that I just kind of stuck with my whole life in order to give me clarity because I do have some friends who the parents they're also they're also mixed because the parents are from different places and then and then they were adopted and then they lived in all these different countries and they really have like. A perpetual identity crisis and I was like I don't want to be like that so I'm just <laughs> gonna stick with something easy and I think it's definitely harder for my because I have three younger brothers the first one was born in the US the second in Russia and the third in Korea
1: right.
0: <laughs> so and the third and the, the second and the third I think it's harder for them because they never lived in the US you know to kind of identify as American but this is also the answer that they just give just to make it easy and so that things don't unravel I think you know when you're kind of thinking about who am I yeah and it's interesting because recently while I was at at Soas my closest friend was an American girl and she's always saying you're not really American and I started thinking about that more and I'm like you know maybe I should step away from that now but then at the same time I'm thinking well St- then then what you know w- what am i going to identify myself as then then i said you know i i'm questioning things in my life in so many other areas i don't want to have to question my life about about this because it's i've built a little maybe it's kind of um an illusion that i don't really come from the us i mean when i go to the us i feel like a tourist really <laughs> It's true, I feel so, I feel kind of uncomfortable there. But then I go, I'm like, oh, you know, recently I went there and, you know, I was like, wow, people here talk like me so I can blend in and nobody will know anything. So anyway, although we, yeah, recently, I think, so basically I haven't, hasn't been too disjointed throughout my whole life because I've kind of held on to this. But recently I think... Because of being in London and London is super multicultural, and I've never really lived in kind of a multicultural space.
1: Right.
0: You know, because I've lived in Moscow and Seoul, and I lived in a small town in in Holland as well. So all these places weren't incredibly diverse, and London is really the first place that is incredibly diverse. And I'm like, you know, I don't need to hang on to anything, I don't want to. But then, but then, how do I identify myself?
1: I mean, what's your opinion of all of those places? I guess like you've seen lots of different cultures, right? I mean, I guess you know you haven't lived as a as a as someone f- from those cultures necessarily, so your experience will be different as an observer. Mm-hmm. That said, yeah, I mean, like what have, what have your kind of cultural observations been? Okay?
0: That's definitely. One of the, yeah, there's always, I think, pros and cons to every country, and pros and cons, I think, to moving around so much. I mean, I feel like I've kind of taken on the good aspects of culture from all these different places, but at the same time, like you said, I'm always an observer. And no matter how long I stay in a place, I still am kind of like a step removed, just psychologically. It's just, it's just habit, and it's just, kind of constantly this this thing of i'm not from here you know so i think it kind of i think it prevents me from completely completely soaking up a place but at the same time i can still kind of remain a bit critical and i am critical of all the places i've lived in so yeah us russia korea (laughs) Germany, Holland. I mean, I haven't lived in Germany enough to, like, know so much about it yet. But for the other places, I do have, you know, like, opinions on what they're doing. And, you know, I see, like, for example, like, stuff that Russia's doing in the news. And I'm like, why are you doing this, you know? And I think we left Russia in 2000. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Putin was like just starting, you know, just starting at that point. Right. And I remember I was twelve and I was like, thank God we're leaving now. Mm. Like this was like a conscious thing. I was like, oh Putin, no thank no thank you. <laughs> you know, so I so that's been that's been um interesting because there's always like this like a love and hate for for every place that I've been to and I think the way my dad puts it is if you love a place that at the same time you're critical of it, like there's always something that you look at a place and you're like, why are you doing this? But you're doing it more out of like, out of love and concern because you mm-hmm. love this place. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, you know, I'll be writing something on Facebook about, you know, Rush is doing crazy things. And then people will write in the comments like, Renee, but... But you've lived here, and and I'm like, I know I'm not discrediting, I'm not like overlooking that in any way, and I'm saying this because
1: right. I live there. It, well, when it's people that you you care about, that may be doing like, or maybe involved in it, or or like affected by it, yeah. Then it, you know, then yeah, that's when you do criticize the most. I mean, I think that I mean that you know everybody hopefully is critical of the country that they live in for the mm-hmm. for, for a start. I mean, I mean I I. I I love a lot of people and places in the UK, but I would never say that I love the UK because of the fact that that what that means to me is just terrible, terrible policies by the government and and through throughout history. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Britain is you know pretty pretty heinous in terms of uh, our history uh, uh, globally. I mean, but then you know so a lot of uh, quite a few of the places, right? You know, the European, All the places.
0: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. If you look at if you look at all the places I've been to, I'm like, man, you know, all of these countries have something.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. They've yeah. all had. I mean, they've all been colonial powers, I guess. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. And that's really interesting because um, when I was living in Russia, it never struck me that Russia was basically colonized all these countries surrounding it because I was educated in the Russian school system. Right. And I realized, really, just a few years ago, and I was like, oh my god, you know, Russia Russia doesn't say anything about that, you know, because I was so, so within this mode of Russian thinking about all the neighboring countries that I didn't realize what Russia actually did to all the neighboring countries. Yeah. And that was only a realization, yeah, like, yeah, a few years ago that I came to. So that was really... That was really interesting. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I guess that's the other thing. You were a child in, at least in Russia. You mm-hmm. were a child. I mean, when did you when did you go to South Korea?
0: When I was twelve.
1: Right. So you right. So that's the so that's what I mean about how it's similar and different. Like so that makes South Korea your your Cardiff, <laughs> which is very very different. Um, but yeah, like that was the hardest move for me when I moved around twelve because. Mm-hmm you're at the age when you're like just so many things are going on exactly but at the same time you you lose all your friendships that Mm -hmm. you kind of built up and then you have to try and make new ones or not in my case
0: yeah that was that was tough (laughs) because i studied korean for a year before i went to i mean i was quite lucky because my brothers they were kind of bullied at school i mean because in in korea when you're obviously a foreigner, I mean, just physically you can tell, right? So at first you're kind of, you know, you're kind of exotic and then people lose interest in you pretty quickly. So I started school with a few other foreign girls and then they all went back home. It was kind of like an exchange program, but then my family was living in Korea. So I was just, I was going to stay in school, whereas all of my, my foreign friends, they left and I, was, I stayed in the school and basically... I think for about six months, I would just sleep through all my classes, and I would wait. This was, I think, seventh grade. I slept through all my classes, and I would get up just to like go to the bathroom and and eat lunch, because I hated school so mm-hmm. much, and and it was it was really tough. And I mean, it was uh, a like a private art school, so the kids were also a bit wealthy, and I mean. But I had come in not really speaking the language. So forever I was looked at as a foreigner. And I think that was the toughest thing in Korea because you always you always look different. So people I mean, I was never I was never bullied for it. But I, I did feel like, you know, constantly like like an outsider and um, that was that was kind of tough until I went to high school and I went to a different school and I found a new set of friends and that
1: you know right. that was
0: like a clean slate and I was like oh thank God I'm out of that place and and that was that was really hap- like I was a really happy year for me and then I decided that I wanted to drop out of Korean school and study at home in English because I don't know if you know anything about the Korean school system but it's it's nuts.
1: It's really. Uh it's famously strict yeah
0: oh my gosh like it's so ridiculous (laughs) oh man yeah
1: you don't you basically don't stop studying you
0: never stop right yeah it was it was really so towards the end of my time in Korea I was like I'm I'm done with this place because that was the time for me to go to university and I was like I can't I don't want to you know, continue in this kind of environment. For university, I want to have the experience that my dad talked about when he was going to uni in Holland, you know, and people are having debates and discussions, whereas I didn't necessarily find that all the time at, at school. And then I did one year of Korean uni and I was like, no, everybody wants to be a diplomat or a politician. And I don't want to be that. (laughs) (laughs) So then I decided to go to uni in Europe. And that was, and I felt like that was just time for me. You know, I I feel like at certain stages, I feel like I'm just kind of, I've exhausted everything that a country can offer me. And then I'm like, okay, now the next place. So I'm just afraid that this is going to continue for, you know, the rest of my life. And I'll have to like be perpetually on the move, but we'll see.
1: The, the uni you went to was in Holland mm-hmm. and that's where you're like is that that's where your dad is from right
0: my dad's from Holland right.
1: yeah so you, you know you you've known all your life that you're two you're the two the two places that you come from are Holland and uh, New York slash Puerto Rico mm-hmm. right and then you kind of go to the place right. that your dad, dad is from I mean was that significant did, did you think did that I mean that must have come across your like come for your mind, like your, da- your oh, dad your def- dad had lived in this place.
0: Oh definitely. I mean I all the students they get or I don't know if they've changed it now. I know they're always changing it, but you get a travel card and you can travel all students, right? You get a travel card where you can travel for free either on the weekends or on the weekdays. So I would take this travel card on the weekends, and I would travel all over the country. I'm very, very interested in origin stories or personal history, like history of where my family comes from. So I did I did travel quite a bit around, around the Netherlands, and I have Dutch family that live in the Netherlands as well, in, in Utrecht. Where is that? That's like half an hour from Amsterdam. And then in another city as well, my uncle. And they would also take me around, and that was that was so nice. I felt finally I was like, wow, now I can understand my dad. It was really it was really significant. And my my mom, she was saying, oh, I'm kind of jealous, you know. <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, and I applied for for internships. I applied to the Moth internship twice because I wanted to be in New York, and I wanted also to get to know where my mom is from, right? Because. I was like, well, now I know where my dad is from, but I also want to get to know my mom's side. I've never been to Puerto Rico, and that's kind of like one of my dreams to be able to, to take my mom. But it's definitely, I feel like it's definitely important and important to me because then I understand my family better. I understand myself better and where I come from, you know. I, now I understand, like, oh, my dad is like a Dutch man.
1: <laughs> you know what
0: I mean? Before he was my dad, but now he's, oh, he's a Dutch man. And I can see, you know, his character and I can see it in, in other people and, you know, certain like kind of national characteristics. Oh, yeah. And so that was, that was really nice. And it was, yeah, there were a few times that I was really quite moved by the work ethic of Dutch people. What is it called? It's called dredge, dredging? Do you know, like, when you're like, like when you're making artificial land masses, and the Dutch did this at the beginning completely by hand, and I was like, it's so, it's really, it's really quite amazing, and I was like, wow, this is really, I was really, yeah, moved by the Dutch people, and I was like, oh, now I understand all these things better, yeah. And it
1: must be sort of strange as you've moved around all these different cultures, I guess that whichever culture you've been in, you probably have, well, I mean, so I guess. There's loads of ways i can that i can uh, phrase this wrongly so if i, ha- <laughs> if I do uh, please forgive me in advance but um uh-huh. but because because of the fact that you have dual heritage because of the fact that you you have sort of puerto rican uh, element to your, to your genetic makeup you don't quite fit into any box that people are going to want to put you into i would imagine right. i mean sometimes you might just be luck or fluke or whatever but mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, is that fair to say?
0: Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> because on on all forms, and it kind of annoys me, they always ask you about your racial background, right? And I'm like, what am I supposed to put? And I always take the other box, you know? And I've heard, I have quite a lot of friends who are mixed and, and you know, always taking the, the other. I, I went to an event in London the other day and... They had quite a few options, but they didn't have the option that I need. So I'm like, other. And then I write down, I'm like, okay, half white and half like, because they have like Caribbean, but like black Caribbean. And I'm like, well, what about like Hispanic Caribbean? I mean, although a lot of, anyway, we don't have to go into that, but like Puerto Rico, a lot of people are like, oh, but that's practically the U.S. And oh, it's like the 51st state. And they're automatically, I think... American citizens, I think. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how it works. I still have a lot to learn about my Puerto, <laughs> Puerto Rican side, but yeah, that's that's definitely been something. So it's yeah, it's interesting to think about, even you know, like racially, right. like you know, who am I? And I mean,
1: because assumptions people are going to make when right. they meet you are not even going to be quite anywhere near the actual origin. I don't think. Like yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm not in. I, certainly I'm not in a habit of, of going around guessing people's ethnicities. Yeah. But if I was to guess your ethnicity, I would have got it wrong.
0: Yeah. It's quite interesting because <ritual or mash falar> at the same time, I also I also really don't look like my brothers. Right. So when I'm with them, they're like, are you related? <laughs> like my brothers... Like for me, a lot of people think I'm half
1: Asian. Right.
0: Um. That's because, the, yeah...
1: That's just the same what I'm pussy-putting <uważ> around. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: A lot of people think <laughs> that and especially... <éner transparency> And I get that all the time yeah. from half Asians as well. Right. They're like, "Oh, are you half like I don't know Japanese, Korean, Chinese?" Um, actually, I'm not. And they're like, "What? No way!" And then my brothers they they have kind of they all have you know dark hair, big dark eyes, and kind of like bushyish eyebrows. So they look I don't they you know they could be I don't know Italian. I mean you know Brazilian or I don't I don't know what. So no so when we're together. That's that's another thing that's interesting. So then, you know, it's like how do you? I mean, because there's been like a lot of talk about the whole like Rachel Dolezal thing, right? Yeah, right. How does like appearance factor into racial identification and and all of that? So it's quite it's quite interesting. I mean, for myself, I usually don't think about it too much. No. I'm not surra- I'm not in a place where those debates are necessarily going on. Perhaps right. if I were in the U.S. I would be more engaged in that kind of discussion,
1: but right. yeah. Yeah, I mean, although I mean, there's there's plenty of uh, racial discussions to be had in in this country too, Right. and uh, perhaps I mean we don't talk about it enough I think at all in this country but it's there and it's complicated Mm -hmm. and when you're talking about (laughs) Rachel I can't even I don't even know how to pronounce her surname because I always read it yeah Um, (laughs) but but when we're talking about her the two groups of people I worried about when that came up were you know the trans community because of the fact that there was all of these silly analogies being made between race and gender which are are not right Mm -hmm. the other group I worried about in that was people with who are mixed race like partly because my niece is mixed race, because of the fact, I guess, as a result of that, there's going to be more, like, lighter-skinned people getting grief, uh, at, like, with that, with her in, in mind, when, you know, because there's a lot of, like, of, of, of problems around, you know, that yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so I guess, yeah, it's not something that, I guess, you think about day-to-day, but, but yeah. I mean, I guess when you were in South Korea, that must have been a time when it was a bit weird, because, like, you look, like, like you look, you you look like you, you could ha- like one of your parents could be South Korean, right? Mm-hmm. And so how how is that with the with the um, community?
0: In in Korea there is still when it comes to people who are half Korean, there's still there's really there's really good documentaries about it. I think in Japan there's a documentary called Half, so like half, right? Mm. Um, and it's basically everybody who's half Japanese, but they're like, you know, half, I don't know, half Caribbean, half Australian, half all these different things, but they're all bullied, right? So in school, they're always, they're always bullied. And that's because they're going to to school, like in a, kids can be mean. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, for me, it's interesting because it didn't, people sometimes assumed, but I think I got asked, like just a handful of times like are you half korean and i said no and then they would just they would just drop it but they would just assume that i was a foreigner so it's it's tough for people who are half korean but they're born and raised in korea like to be thing you're like treated like a foreigner and they're no. like oh do you speak korean and there's this other interesting case i don't know if you've seen it miss japan she just wants, she's i think she's going to go on to miss Universe now and she's half black right. and this is the first time. I think a non-full Japanese woman has won the title of, of is it Miss Japan, I don't know anyway this beauty pageant and people were complaining They're like she's not really Japanese and she's like, but I'm born and raised here I speak Japanese and people are like, do you can you eat with chopsticks? They give her English menus you know so so all of these things i mean fortunately for me that that wasn't an issue because i wasn't like i came to korea around 12 and i think i don't know by that time by that age and i was i had a good group of friends but yeah it wasn't so much an issue for me because they just assumed that i was a foreign
1: which i guess which i guess you were right yeah so they, they assumed right rather yeah. than, than yeah, I mean that's that's interesting because I, I was thinking that might have been kind of useful if you like it, that you could pot- potentially pass, but of course you can't fully pass. Yeah. So it actually would have been worse, like from what Ex- you're saying.
0: Exactly.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: it's 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 pretty complicated.
1: Yeah. Well. <laughs> that's cool though. I mean that's people's ethnic makeups are always compl- like nearly always complicated. Mm-hmm. It's just some people it's visibly complicated and right. some people it isn't. Yeah. I mean, you know, whatever those complications are, there's always I mean, god, if I look back at my in my family history it, it becomes complicated in the worst kind of way. Like, I don't like what I what I descend from, which yeah. I guess there's probably a lot of white guys who feel that way, but you know, uh, who cares about our tears because there's a lot of worse things in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, um, but yeah, it is, it, these things are really complicated but yeah so you and you moved through all of these different cultures with mm-hmm. different complications in all of those right. cult- cultures what, how's that relating to, to, to your interest in storytelling because I, I reckon it probably has some relation
0: definitely I mean <laughs> I feel like I have a story to tell and I want to get it out there like I'm really I think I'm really I mean it's interesting because I've also seen some people who are like this I have this obsession with documentation Like, I'm a very avid journal keeper. I write in my diary. I keep stubs of the movies I went to, and you know, because I feel like I've had so many experiences and I want to remember them all. But at the same time, I feel like maybe there's somebody out there who has something similar, and I want to kind of like share my story with them and I don't know, get a kind of a conversation started. So that's kind of also where sharing my own stories, like the desire to share my own stories come from because I feel like I have a lot of them and I'm the type who, once I write it down, it's kind of like a burden lifted, you know? So Mm -hmm. I, if I'm having a hard time and I, either I verbalize it, you know, through talking or I... I write it down, and then it's kind of like, oh, okay, now I don't have to like upset, like I don't have to store this memory in my brain anymore because it's taking up, you know, precious space, whatever. So now I can like put it down on paper and, like, come back to it if I want to. So I think that's definitely part of where my love for storytelling comes from, just just writing in general and a love for words because that's how I feel. I, I process things. And, I, and how, um, yeah, how I store things, how I kind of assess situations. I mean, I feel like there are some people who really, you know, like words are important for them, you yeah. know, right? in yeah, processing yeah. stuff. And yeah, that's kind of definitely, it's all related, like words and, and writing and journaling and storytelling.
1: Yeah. And I guess because you've been to lots of places, lived in lots of places, you've got lots of kinds of stories or lots of cultures that have influenced the way that you're thinking about stories. Yeah. And then, and you've seen lots of different stories as well, like yeah. a culture is a story. Right. Yeah, that's that's interesting. And what about in terms of, so the book that got you interested in storytelling mm-hmm. was as you, you described it as having a feminist element mm-hmm. to it where are you with feminism and mm-hmm. how has feminism been influenced by all of the different places you've lived i guess i mean those are big questions right <laughs> <laughs> feminism
0: i never thought about that thank you dave um i have never i mean okay i guess i've kind of thought about it but never really consciously i think because in Russia, I think I never really thought about it so much. In Korea, I've definitely thought about it because Korea is still a very strongly patriarchal society. And once you get married, so I think until, until marriage, I think in the kind of like the dating, courting, whatever phase, things are still kind of, kind of equal. But as soon as people get married, there's the expectation that the man will have a 9-to-5 job in a company. And then the woman, it depends, you know, maybe... I mean, I've seen so many kind of women who are married to to rich men and then they're just kind of trying to occupy themselves. I mean, you know, as in many countries it's like they get involved with charities and, you know, they're trying to you know, or with arts and crafts and just trying to keep themselves busy because they have all this money and they don't want to work and they want to take care of the kids, but maybe they do want to work. And when I would see that in Korea, it would kind of, it would frustrate me. And that was another thing that kind of frustrated me about Korean society. Right. So like I said, there were things that frust- frustrated me in every place that I lived in. And this was kind of one of those things. But when I moved to to Holland I think then I kind of like you know actively started I think calling myself a feminist like I think it was yeah I think once I started once I started uni I mean because I was already interested before in kind of you know issues for um, surrounding um like women especially around body like body image how people feel in their body because these were a lot of things that were kind of personally relevant for me so then I started kind of actively thinking about it more and like a couple years I did this like Facebook blog countdown to International Women's Day and like posting all this stuff and people like oh this is so interesting and I was like okay well at least somebody's reading it and they're not you know getting like Renee why are you spamming my Facebook wall (laughs) so that was so and I because I thought about you know I was like wow, I don't really have any female role models. I think that's kind of where one of my countdowns originated. So then I started trying to find really inspiring women and I would post, I think I did, I don't know how long I did it for seven days or 10 days. And I would post about like one inspiring woman a day and I'll be like, okay, I found like this lady is amazing. And that kind of was, you know, to share with other people, but then also for myself. So it was kind of this like dual dual thing in the end yeah
1: right I I mean I guess think I mean thinking thinking that through like as well like I mean I guess you don't think very much about politics in general most people don't and before they're 12 Mm -hmm. like I don't know any any of the any of the ways I would define my my identity now in terms of politics I don't think were really on my radar till I was in my teens right so, I mean, I guess, no. I mean, and, that, and that's the thing. So I guess the, the, the Russian part, you have too young to have it to form any critiques. But right. Like you may, you know, that's sort the of thing.
0: There's yes. one thing that comes to mind and I hope people are not hating me for saying this. I always found this, I mean, maybe because I was a child, I was often, I developed this kind of fear, almost paranoia of like drunk Russian men because you saw them quite often and that is something that kind of kind of filled my image of men for a long time mm. and it's something that i had to unlearn kind of this you know like you're walking down a street and there's like some like guy like staggering down the road and he's like waving at like you know swaying at like all the people like passing by and it just filled me with so much fear because i had this image of Russian men being kind of aggressive like this was kind of like the feeling I felt as like I don't know a female child so I I don't know if I mean I think it probably informed my opinions and ideas about feminism later on yeah consciously at the time not so much but just kind of in, in hindsight
1: I think you could easily get that kind of a feeling in this country just as much as Russia <laughs> I mean yeah. drunk angry Often poor men, uh, I guess, are are increasingly kind of, they're an increasing symptom of the the situation that we're in kind of globally in terms of capitalism and and patriarchy, right? Those two things kind of going together as industry die and uh, people are kind of left with no no jobs and uh, lots of anger. And they've been told they're supposed to be in charge. That's the problem men have got. I think. I mean, not to say that we don't like, not to say men have it worse than women, but yeah. the, the the problem is that men are told that they should be in charge. They're mm-hmm. told that they should have everything, and right. so they get so angry when they haven't got any of it. Right. If we just tell them no, don't no get, don't no get anything. That's just the reality. Then, yeah, if we learn that from younger. Yeah. But yeah, all of the like, I guess it's a similar sort of thing to to the to the issues around kind of body image presented in the media is like lifestyle image Mm -hmm. like yeah we only ever see men with agency so men get so surprised when we don't have any (laughs) (laughs) right whereas like women like they only get bombarded with with women who don't have agency so they have to like have a different relationship to that idea yeah
0: it's interesting i've kind of been through the stuff i've been reading this past year i've kind of been trying to consciously unlearn a lot of a lot of these things you know mm. I, I mean i started i started kind of like reading this a lot of women in business books right because i'm i would like to start something and yeah. i was like i need to i want to i like to identify with the person i'm reading like i'm the book that i'm reading and i really like to read a more memoir style purse like stories instead of just like i mean i love self-help books too But I I like when people talk about their experiences because I think people learn better through stories, you know, instead of, like, do this, 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 and this. I want to hear, like, I did this, and it sucked, and I failed, and this is the lesson. I'm like, oh, thank you, you know, and this is... And I've read some some really good books, and one of my favorite ones was 25 Mistakes I Made at Work, I think. And it's 25 women who are quite successful, but it's, like, Times they did really badly, or they failed, or they were struggling, and you know, reading all of these, all of these things, you know, kind of unlearning like the, oh, you have to be perfect. Because I always, for like, I always got good grades, and I was also, and I'm the only girl in my family, and I'm the first, first child, so I always had this kind of like perfectionism in me that I've kind of recently tried to unlearn right? and that's that was kind of what I've been I mean because it's something so ingrained this past year I've been trying to unlearn it yeah. and I've been reading you know all of, all of these books and and thinking about it a lot so that's been that's been really interesting I feel like I I have learned a lot this past year yeah
1: wow yeah I mean I'm yeah I'm in a in a period of trying to unlearn things as well I mean yeah although I think I guess I've been I guess I've been unlearning things for a while, but now I'm like really, really, really consciously doing it. Yeah. But you don't know how much you've sort of been influenced by exactly. the world, like by the way that the conditions of your of your of your upbringings. Mm-hmm. Like and yeah, it's 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 so hard to like because you. It's not all from your. It's not all from your parents either. Is it? Exactly. That's the thing. There's so exactly, much from yeah. culture as well. Like mm-hmm. I I mean one of the things in. The show I'm working on at the moment that I talk about is I had a very kind of progressive parents in some ways, Mm -hmm. uh, in some ways not, but in in some ways. And yet I still received loads of information that was kind of very negative Mm -hmm. about about men, Mm -hmm. about women, about about all of the the issues around men and women. Um, And, you know, you internalize that stuff. So it's really hard to find out like it's like we're talking I'm really worried a lot like a lot of studies say that men talk more than women and over women right in boardroom meetings or in social situations (laughs) one of the things that kind of like makes me kind of in this weird anxiety spiral around it I'm kind of scared of silence I have to like feel so I'm always speaking I'm very verbal Mm -hmm. right and that was always like something that I was anxious about anyway now I'm anxious about it like in like a shit am I taking up space that women should be kind of having <laughs> and like it what part is anxiety and what part is entitlement right right that that, that is so hard to work out it's true um, I think that's the thing which sh- I think we should have compassion for anxiety mm-hmm. but I'm not so keen on having compassion for entitlement so mm. it is hard for me to like like you yeah. know like should I be giving myself a free pass if I, if sometimes I talk too much or yeah. should I be Being like stern face uh, (laughs) could do better do better next time Mm.
0: yeah I think it's always like kind of a balancing act with (laughs) with all these things especially yeah like what you said because some things are so unconscious and I mean you don't want to be overthinking all the time either and I mean it's yeah, it's kind of complicated in nature and nurture and family and society and personal character as well and all of these different things.
1: Yeah. You've had the nurture part happening in lots of different places. Right. Maybe that sort of puts you in a good position to to sort of unpick these things a bit. Yeah. But maybe that also is why you're sort of drawn towards things that give you sort of different cultural answers than what you like so self-help books are kind Mm -hmm. of like that there are those and 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 narratives about like people's life journeys are sort of things that I know I where where I where I turn to them and I'm quite cynical about a lot of self-help I have to say but I but where I turn to that sort of thing is 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 definitely where I'm kind of looking for answers that aren't aren't available to me in the media around, right. right?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I would kind of actively seek out something that I'm kind of, you know, I'm, it's like, oh, I'm questioning this or I wanna know more about this. And then I'll kind of actively look, search out for, like look out for for one of these things, yeah. you know, like, like a book. One thing that just came to mind, because you know, the nurture part being in different places, I think another thing was kind of in my, because in my family, I always felt I would compare my not compare, but again, unconsciously, right? Kind of see how it was in my family. And for example, in in Korean families, because this is where I lived for most of my, you know, during my formative years. And my parents were always telling us kids, follow your dreams, you know, do what you like. And I think I kind of, take after my my dad in that way if like if there's something I want to do I, I do it whereas you know my friends you know like oh I want to be an artist but my dad is telling me to be a doctor and you know this kind of stereotypical Asian family but it's but it's it's still true and a lot of friends you know would get so much pressure and my dad is a teacher so he would see this also all the time and this I think was kind of a more conscious resisting I want to be. strong independent person Mm -hmm. because i see how negatively it impacts people when they're being kind of pushed down even by their own parents in things that they want to do in their life you know so i kind of kind of almost being reactionary to all the places that i that i did live so i see like oh this part i feel is a negative part of this culture So I'm gonna kind of counter that in this way, Mm -hmm. in my own life. So I think that's kind of also a way that I developed throughout throughout my life.
1: I guess that seems to me that the the strategy that you've come up with then is to sort of like to sort of work on. Work on constructing yourself the way that you'd most like to be, mm-hmm. you know, drawing from some of those things and then finding out completely new things to do right. that. Rather, yes. rather than kind of attacking any of those ways of being, you're just sort of constructing yourself, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And
1: that's a, And that's an interesting, I mean, because, you know, some, some people, I guess, if, if you have a place... That you consider home then you get angry with that home mm-hmm. whereas you haven't got a home so you right. kind of have, have to like <laughs> you can't get angry with the home so you just have to like find something inside you that you kind of relate
0: to right I yeah I kind of take the lessons you know and then kind of just try to apply it to myself I mean sometimes I mean, I could still, you know, post on Facebook and be like, I don't agree with this culture's way, of, you know. I'm not saying
1: you're completely depoliticized. Right,
0: right, right. Of course, I mean, I have opinions on like all these things that are going on in societies that I live in. But then many times I'm like, you know, I have the way I'm going to let this affect my life is like you said, you know, being kind of active, actively choosing and like constructing myself, you know, watching out how I act or think about certain issues based on what I've seen in this society, and then kind of, you know, putting new pieces, like, you know, new grafting on new pieces onto the person that I already am. Right. Yeah.
1: I mean, and that's, I guess that's the thing about unlearning as well, like, you're Mm -hmm. you're talking about, like, unlearning this idea of To succeed, everything must be perfect. Mm -hmm. Like I, that's that. There's so much, and I guess this is something that you've been finding with storytelling and thinking about these things in general. What I see at Spark is that that there is so much we learn from failure. There's so much we learn from the bad times. There's so much we learn from mistakes. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, some. I mean, it. it, And also how we deal with mistakes. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the other thing. I mean, sometimes I'll make a mistake and. It'll be a small mistake and I'll let it completely and utterly destroy me yeah. Do you know what I mean yeah. and 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 if I can just learn how to deal with that mistake in a reasonable way in a, <laughs> in, in a, in a way that's kind of you know fits what the mistake is then that's I mean hopefully that's the, that's the aim is to sort of like learn to to deal with mistakes in a good way but also learn from them you know yeah. and that's I and mean, I guess yeah, that's a good position to to be in like you've started that process quite early i guess
0: yeah i think it comes from the like the whole like what you said the whole being an outsider thing so i was always kind of self-conscious from an early age and then i guess i just i just kept it i just kept it on until now and i'm like okay well it's working for me so i'll just keep on with
1: it <laughs> right right yeah 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 i mean yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It has been a real pleasure getting better acquainted with you. The last question that I ask my guests is, do you have anything to plug?
0: I don't actually, <laughs> because I'm kind of just starting out on some projects, but everything is still kind of up in the air. So at this stage, I don't. So anyway, maybe in the future, <laughs> just Google my name and I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything. Else. Yeah,
1: where can they find you online?
0: I'm on Twitter. And I also have a blog, but I haven't been writing, I haven't written on it in like a year, which is kind of really terrible. But yeah, find me on Twitter and on my blog.
1: What's yeah. your handle and your.
0: It's URL? Boho Sojo, both my blog and my Twitter handle.
1: Boho Sojo.
0: Yes, B O H O S O J O.
1: Definitely worth asking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So that stands for... I started when I was 19. That stands for BOHO, like bohemian. And Sojo, I found this online, like solo journalist. Right. Because 19 was when I started my world. I went traveling for a year by myself. And I wanted to kind of document everything. I didn't end up really documenting everything. You too
1: busy living life. I was too busy
0: living life. <laughs> although I do have journals from that time. But yeah, that's where the that name started and I just kind of stuck with it because I really like it
1: <laughs> yeah I mean you know like I, I I've stuck with my my silly name on Twitter and I don't even like it so, <laughs> so if, if you like it then you definitely, yeah. definitely stick with it I mean I'm, I'm still goose 101 which is the worst because everybody asks why and it's it's not an interesting story <laughs> you set these things up and you kind of have to live with them now that's right the, the modern world it's true I mean I guess I could change it but I mean I'm kind of stubborn about it I'm like kind of it's kind of like I guess it's like what we were talking about learning about mistakes like learning from mistakes yeah and I'm like yeah that that's a silly handle it doesn't really mean very much it doesn't really yeah. represent my personal brand whatever that means but I kind of like want to just like live with it like mm-hmm. that is part of me I came up with that exactly why, exactly
0: and not be kind of apologetic about I think I think it's hard sometimes so to not be apologetic about who you were in the past right and I find I'm I sometimes I feel like maybe I'm too forgiving of my past self <laughs> but for me like once it's past, I'm like well it's past, and what am I gonna do about it? Because I spend so much time fretting about the future that right. I don't have time to think, like, to fret about the past. I'm oh. just like, oh, I can't think about that because I'm just thinking, like, oh my gosh, the future and oh.
1: all. You can always make time. I, 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 I sort of like <laughs> s- switch my time quite quite uh, freely between worrying about my past and worrying about I my see. future. But I think that's oh, good to get rid of one of those burdens. It's good <laughs> fretting about the future. It is something that hopefully you'll, 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 you'll do less of when you're when you when you're there, right? Like,
0: exactly, but there's always <laughs> more future to go.
1: There is, there is, <sighs> yeah. Anyway,
0: <laughs> so always working on it.
1: Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what this show's kind of about, I guess, overall is working on myself and learning from other people. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, nice. that's all you can really do. It's
0: true, <laughs> do what you can. Oh, man.
1: Yeah. Uh, And the last thing I ask my guests to do is to say goodbye to the audience.
0: Oh.
1: (laughs) That's when everyone goes, oh, audience?
0: (laughs) (laughs) This was Renee, and thanks for listening. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye.
1: (laughs) This conversation was recorded earlier this year. Renee has now gone to Germany, so she's no longer producing Spark in Hackney. That job has now gone to fellow sparkler and previous getting better acquainted guest ian and maybe while she's there she'll start up spark germany who knows you can find out more about spark london at www.sparklondon.com and the next spark hackney is on the 12th of october the theme for the night is borders and it's a night which is in conjunction with an organisation called Open School East in Hackney and it's going to be Stories of Borders, whatever that means to you. It's going to have an open mic section but there'll also be some prepared storytellers and if you want to get some spark before that, there's one tomorrow night. That's Thursday the 24th of September and that is Spark. Encore at Exmouth Market Theatre and the theme is Infectious and it's a collaboration with Body and Soul who are a HIV and AIDS charities and added to that I've got the last stand-up tragedy of 2015 happening on the 16th of October that is stand-up tragedy tragic autumn and it's got some really amazing performers and it's going to be a really great night and the last thing to consider putting in your diary is the London showing I'm doing of what about the men mansplaining masculinity and I'm doing that as a double bill with AJ McKenna who will be doing her show Howl of the Banty and I referred to that show a little bit in today's episode so if that piqued your interest come and check that out that's at the Dog Star in Brixton. You can find more about the show and you can find the survey of a thousand anonymous men's thoughts on masculinity, patriarchy, what it is to be a man over at www.mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk.